The Christmas story brought people together. It brought people together who otherwise would have no reason to connect. There was nothing really in common that would allow them and even give them an opportunity they wanted to be able to connect with each other. Uh, Most of you have a nativity scene of some sort in your house or apartment. You've got some measure of that. We've had so many different variations of the nativity, not in terms of who was involved or who was represented in the nativity, but just the way it was presented. I grew up with one that looked like it had original hay from the uh, original stable in Bethlehem, but it had real, you know, um, hay-like, you know, material on top, and it would fall off, and from year to year, the stable would become more and more bare, but, uh, and there were chips all over the little porcelain ceramic deals, and, but we held on to it. That was the one I liked the most, and when I got married and moved out, my dad kind of had that whole, hey, would you, anything you want, like just to take with you in your new home because we've got stuff. And I thought, I want that nativity. I want the one with the chip noses and the broken angel's wings and the stuff that falls off. And, and that, that, that's what I want. Um, you can keep all the other stuff, but that, that's really important to me. As a kid, I was just into Christmas, and that's why I'm a weirdo now and love it so much. And uh, I dig that, and I, we have a nativity like that. But we also, because God's blessed us with kids along the way, have had a VeggieTales nativity scene in which Jesus was a cucumber, which was a little odd. But he was a vegetable of some sort. But we had VeggieTales. We've had little people like the Fisher Price deal. I think that got canceled. But eventually, but before then, we had that, and we've had the little ceramic. We've had the glass. We've had all, you know the the soft, almost plush version, which is weird to have a a plush shepherd. But we had that. We've had all the different versions along the way. And so, even though the material is different, the the, the representation is the same for all of us. On one end of your nativity, you have a representative of the shepherds. You have probably three, uh, just because it's easy to see that and measure up with the other side. But you've got a few shepherds. And those shepherds represented something that was um, a little on the outside during that time. If you were a young teenage girl and you said, I met a guy, um, and mama said, what, did he, what does he do? It wasn't good to say, well, he's a shepherd. Like, that, that's not a good thing. When a shepherd showed up in a spot, it was always someone from the outside. You could see a shepherd coming. They looked different. They always looked a lot older than they were. They were worn. They were weathered. They had been outside all of their lives, and they had you know, been around stuff, and they didn't really care what they looked like. I mean, when you're a shepherd, you don't anticipate a single girl wandering through the fields, and so you just kind of... You don't necessarily axe up on your way to the shepherd's fields. Like you just show up and you work, you do your thing. And uh, they also talked differently. They were uneducated. If they were educated, they would have chosen not to be a shepherd. Uh, It wasn't something that anyone aspired to be. Now, now that may be different in other parts of the world, but during this time, it wasn't. In fact, we can look through historical records and see where usually the shepherd in the family was the youngest the last born. So if you're the youngest, if you're the runt in the family, you got to be the shepherd. It wasn't something people wanted to be. Now we've romanticized it a little bit and as a shepherd you get to be in the nativity and it's important and and Jesus is the as our shepherd and we we get all that, but the truth is the profession itself from that perspective, from a first century perspective was not not that appealing. 
So shepherds show up in the nativity scene because they were the first to get the message. They were heard from the angels what was going on. They went to go see and to worship. But on the other side of your nativity, you've got probably three, we have, but we have wise men. You have the magi. And we don't know a lot about them, but we know they're very different than the shepherds. Education wasn't an issue. They studied for a living. They learned. They knew. They, they were more scientific. They were much more intellectually uh, balanced, and they wanted to know things, and they studied the stars, and they were astronomers, most likely, and they had a different faith perspective. And most historians believe these wise men, these magi from the east, were from Iran. So they're from a completely different country with a different perspective and a different faith even. It was a very, very different situation for them in circumstance. They had not grown up understanding the laws. They had not grown up understanding the Old Testament scriptures. They had studied the prophecies. They knew enough to try to connect the dots between what they were seeing in the stars and what they had heard that these people in Israel were believing. And they were working all that together. They were studying and traveling, but they were not from there. They were outsiders in a different kind of way. And then you have, of course, Joseph and Mary, probably centered in the middle of your nativity, just enough room for the manger in the very center. But Joseph and Mary are there as newlyweds, new parents, trying to figure life out. And they would not have needed to be around shepherds. Shepherds would have been a bad influence, especially you would not have wanted them around as you're giving birth to your child, these strange guys coming in. You would not have wanted to spend time with the Magi. You had nothing in common. Your culture, your history, your beliefs, your perspective, there's no reason they would want to be connected. So you've got this middle, maybe lower to middle class family, newlyweds, newly parents, and you have these outsiders, the shepherds, the guys that mama warned you about. They're coming in. And then you've got the Magi, people from a whole different place that if you don't know already, they weren't there that night, but it just makes the picture kind of nice for your nativity. It took them about a year or a year and a half to get there, but regardless, they, they're in our, uh, our picture that we like to hold on to. But these are all people who are not connected without Jesus. There's no other reason for them to all be together. These people from different backgrounds, with different bank accounts, with different education levels, with different socioeconomic situations, they're completely different. But when Jesus is there, he brings all of these people into the same place. And their differences didn't seem so important when Jesus brought them all together. And if we look at the nativity of our own lives, and of course we don't have, I hope you don't have figurines of yourself in your house, but we don't, like our lives, if they were a nativity, if it was a nativity, there are people that used to be in the picture that are no longer there. People that used to be in our lives, a part of our story, that are no longer a part of the story. In some circumstances, it can't be helped. It was a relocation, a move, maybe even a move out of the state or out of the country. They're just not a part of your lives anymore, and the distance is unavoidable. It just makes sense. Some of you experienced the heartbreak of a divorce, and there are things that just went on, and that it, it, you're apart, and you're going to be apart, and there's a distance that you know, can't be avoided in that moment. For some of you, this is your first Christmas without someone really important to you because of death. And it's hard and it's difficult, but there's no way to undo it and it's unavoidable. 
And that is certainly the case in some instances. But most of the time in our lives, the people that are not in our lives anymore, not in our picture anymore, are not there because of an argument, because of some careless word, because of a criticism, because of a post, because of a picture, because of uh, ignoring someone when something great happened, because we said the wrong thing when something bad happened, because we just walked by without saying anything at all, or we didn't support them in a certain time, or they didn't support us when we needed a friend. There's something that happened. There's an event. There's moments along the way that allowed distance to take place between us and them. And they're no longer a part of our story. Last week, we took a look at the struggle that we have sometimes extending mercy to people who don't even ask for it. Because by nature, mercy is not earned. And the question was, what would it take for us to be willing to give mercy to those who don't deserve it and didn't even ask for it in the first place? Well, today, I want to ask a different question. What would it take for us to be willing to take the initiative to close the gap between whoever it is and you? What would it take for you to be willing to step out and close the gap, to close the distance in order to be free? Because although you might not even want that person in your life again, you might be thinking, well, they're not here, but I didn't want them to be here, and this is purposeful, and I understand that. But the distance that we have in our relationships eventually starts to make us feel like there's distance in our relationship with God. And we feel like they should be two completely different things. And sometimes God even orchestrated the separation. We, we get that. God does that. He removes us from circumstances or might even remove people from our lives. But sometimes that distance, if it's not taken care of, it's not handled, if it's not worked through, creates some distance between us and God. And my desire is that you have a free Christmas, that you don't have to overlook, forget about, compartmentalize some gaps in your lives in order to be able to celebrate freely right now, to be able to have joy, to have to say, oh, this is on my heart, it's weighing on me, it's a burden, it drives me crazy, it makes me angry, it frustrates me, but put it aside, joy to, I don't want us to have to do that. I want us to, I can't believe I just sang it, that was weird, but... (laughs) Uh, I was off script. I did not have that here. Um, just got overwhelmed, explosion. Uh, but I don't want you to have to fake that. I don't want to have to fake it. I want us to be able to have the freedom to celebrate, knowing that, okay, that's not what I wanted it to be, but it's okay. We've handled that and we've moved on. Because I want you to be free to love again, to be able to receive love again, to dream again, to believe in yourself again, to feel like everything is possible again, to hope again, to approach God, most importantly, with the confidence of knowing, listen, I did everything I could, and my hands are clean before you. My conscience is clear. I am free in this. That's what I want for you. And Christmas is that ultimate picture of God saying, I came to close the gap. I came to fix this. Because there was a time when there was no gap. There was no broken relationship with God. If you go back to the beginning of the story of God in the book called Genesis, you've got 
Adam and Eve, and they are so close with God. They're walking with him just like you would walk with a friend to the point where they didn't even have any clothes on and it wasn't weird at all. Like They had such a free relationship and such a close relationship that ideas of hiding and guilt and shame, none of that was a part of their experience. And then they broke God's heart. Truthfully, they broke up with God. God said, here is what I want from you. Here is our covenant. Here's our agreement. Here is what I am expecting of you. And Adam and Eve said, yeah, but we also want to see other people. And they broke their relationship with God. And in that moment, the one thing that's obvious is there was distance. Adam ran and hid. He experienced shame. He experienced guilt to the point where when God came after him, he said, where are you? God knew where they were, but there was a lot that was being unpacked in that question. There was now distance. There was separation. And for the next few thousand years, when God would show up, he would show up uninvited. He would show up without warning most of the time and intervene into the lives of his people because he was preparing the way to close the gap. And every time he showed up, it was as if people were so surprised, their actions were saying, what are you doing here, God? What, what are you doing here? God would show up in the form of a dream or a vision or a burning bush or whatever it was, and people would step back, and it scared them to death because they weren't expecting and they weren't even inviting God into it. But God was taking the initiative to step into a place he wasn't even invited for the sake of closing the gap, for the sake of closing the distance between us and our maker. So over and over again, he chose to do that. And in the Christmas story, time after time, God shows up into the lives of people, unannounced, uninvited, and their response was basically, what are you doing here? The first one we see at the beginning of the Christmas story is actually with a man named Zechariah, He's working in a church, he's a priest, and he's dealing with the, deal, the, uh, uh, the failings of the people, and he's going into his time with God and bringing sacrifices, interceding on their behalf, and God sends an angel and speaks to Zechariah, and Zechariah, with his response, his actions rather, responds with, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Like, you haven't spoken in 400 years, we've had no word from you, and now you're going to show up? What are you doing here? God was taking the initiative himself. Then we have an angel that visits Mary, and Mary steps back, and she's afraid. What are you doing here? I've got a message from God. Well, why me, though? I'm just a girl. I'm, I'm, an, I'm engaged to another man, and we're not special. I don't even understand why you would choose us. Why, why us? When Mary went to go visit Elizabeth, her cousin, to talk with her about what went on, and she said, I can't believe you're here. Well, God did this thing, and now we're all involved in this story. Then an angel went to Joseph, and Joseph said, what are you doing here? I'm just a guy engaged with this girl, and we're not special. We, we shouldn't be the people. Then the angels show up to the shepherds, and the shepherds looked up and said, what are y'all doing here? Like, why are y'all in this place? We're, we're the outsiders. People aren't going to believe that we've seen this. They're not even going to believe we're sober, much less that we've seen what's happened if we go into town. We cannot be the first witnesses to the good news. There's no way. And then eventually to the wise men, and they showed up, and certainly Joseph and Mary said, what are y'all doing here? Like, you're not even from here. How do you know about the baby? God took the initiative and brought all kinds of people from all different places together in an effort 
to help them understand that the good news was for all people. And at the heart of the gospel, it is closing the distance. In Luke chapter 2, verse 10, that message that the shepherds got was, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Mentally underline that. For all the people, for everyone. That was not a true uh, common understanding for the shepherds or for anyone else during that time because they had been really good at drawing lines, of dividing lines. It's the Jews and it's everyone else. The Jewish people are over here and God's going to come and God's going to save us. He's going to bring a leader for us. And yeah, it does say some other things in the prophecies about all nations. But listen, this is about us and our people and our oppressed people. And God is going to send the Messiah, a person to deliver us. They were good at drawing lines. They drew lines between Jews and Gentiles, between rich and the poor, between educated and uneducated, between socially elite and the commoners. There were all sorts of lines being divided. And little by little, there were more and more gaps and there was more and more division and there were more and more reasons to say, well, I'm not like you and I don't understand you and I don't get your perspective. So people were so spread out and people struggled so much to come together. There were so many reasons for them not to be together. And then Jesus showed up and said, this is for all people. That Christmas is about bringing people together. After Jesus was born, eventually Joseph and Mary took him to the temple to dedicate him to, uh, and in many ways, have this parent-child dedication moment that, that we have here. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 29, a priest named Simeon said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. He said, this birth of Jesus, this amazing, miraculous thing that God did is for all people everywhere. It's going to bring people together. So Jesus was redefining the groups. He was redefining division. He said, you've been divided based on your race, based on your language, based on your money, based on your education, based on all of these factors. And I'm telling you, let's wipe it all clean. Let's all get back to one side. Now, I'm going to step across. And the one division that matters is life or death, is lost or found, is are you with me or you're not? And I'm going to create a bridge so that you can cross over. I'm going to be the bridge that you can walk across to be with me. And that's the only line that actually matters in the end. All of these little reasons why you're not with him and all these reasons why you're not with them and all these reasons why we can't be together, none of that actually matters. I've come to bring people together. So at that first Christmas, it was really about a coming together, about God revealing his plan to bring all people from all places to himself. And you and I have gotten good at creating division as well. Like little kids picking people to be on our teams, we have through the years created this line and we're over here and over there are the people who said those things, who wrote those things, who were insecure or uh, were uh, inconsiderate with us, who were rude, who were difficult, 
Over there are the girls that think they're prettier than me or the boys that think they're better than me or the ones who feel like they've got more means than me or the people who fired me or the people who shunned me or the people who ignored me, the people that bullied me. We've got all these people that we've pushed out of our lives through the years and there's so much division and so much separation. And my hope is that you and I would begin to consider that understanding Christmas is about closing those gaps, about crossing over and saying, listen, I can't undo what happened, but this just doesn't need to be. Let's just lay down the weapons and move forward. Let's come together. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18 The writer wrote, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. He said, as far as it depends on you, if it's possible, live at peace with everyone. Because although sometimes the distance that has been created between us and others is unavoidable, distance makes it difficult to feel free. And distance makes it difficult for us to be able to worship with a free heart and a free conscience because there's always that thing. And God never fully has all of us because there's a part of us that's just a little too bent, a little too burnt, a little too frustrated, a little too wound up. We feel in chains. We're carrying this burden. It's a heavy, heavy burden. And God never intended for us to live our lives with the burden of broken relationships. Now, notice that he did not say, I expect every relationship to be restored to its pre-broken state. Like, that, that's not what it said. Because the truth is, some relationships don't ever need to be what they were before, because that's why they were broken. They were unhealthy to begin with, and you don't want to just go back and recreate the dysfunction again. Like, that's not a thing to go back to. He also didn't say, I expect that every single relationship will eventually be reconciled, because sometimes there's just no going back. We are not able to forget what was said or forget what was done. We talk about forgiving and forgetting, but in that context, it's not holding things against people. It's not actually forgetting. There's not a single hurt that you've ever had that you've actually forgotten about. Some of you right now know that from time to time you relive second grade and you're 48 years old. Like you relive that and you think, that was so silly, that was immature, but every now and then you know it still stings you. Or you're 35 years old and you're still getting over the fact that there was a teenage girl in middle school that said that thing that broke you and your boyfriend up and now you're married and got kids and you're moving on and you, you don't care about those things anymore, but the actual moment, the event, the breakup that caused the separation, that still stings. So not every relationship is going to be reconciled because you can't go back. But he says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. Be willing to say, that was rough, but it's not going to go with us any further. We're not going to drag this into the next season of life. I'm not going to drag this pain into my next relationship. I'm not going to drag this into the next time I have that opportunity. I don't want this to hold me back and weigh me down any longer. 
And I know that's not exactly what Jesus meant when he said that I have come to give you rest. But there is a sense in which that's what he came to do, to bring us together, to give us the ability to see what it is to close the distance, to see peace in a relationship so that we can experience that. And we're heavy burdened and we're worn down. We can come to him and experience rest. But a lot of that has to do with us being willing to live those kinds of peaceful lives. When we have peace with Christ, ultimately that allows us to have peace with each other. It's the Christmas gift that brings peace, but it's Christ himself that binds us to that peace. So the Christmas story just leads us to the sacrifice that Christ you know, made for you and me. Now, the instruction is, as far as it depends on us, live at peace, but it was incredibly important to Jesus as well. And listen from Matthew chapter five, what Jesus said. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Now just to envision the scenario, you have families that have come together and they've brought their animal sacrifices and they're in a long line going up to the temple getting ready for worship. And he says, if you're in that line and you remember there's a gap, there's a distance between you and someone else because of something he did or you did or y'all did, he said, drop your sacrifice there, go deal with it, and then come back. Because in a way, your distance there with him or her is creating a problem here. And I want you to take care of that. Because this is not genuine if this is not authentic. He says, I want you to handle your stuff with each other before you handle your time of worship with me. So it's incredibly important to Jesus. And I think the truth is pretty obvious. Until you and I are willing to take the initiative and to close the gap and discover peace in our relationships with each other, we're going to continue to struggle to find freedom in our relationship with God. And being free to worship, being free to have joy, being free to experience his peace is going to be a difficult challenge if you and I cannot be at peace with each other. This week, I had the uh, privilege and the the difficult task of of saying goodbye to a friend, and I was officiating a, a funeral service here in town. And it was someone who had been a part of our family's life for 20 years. So a lot of different seasons had passed between when we began our relationship and then to the time that our friend passed away. So there were a lot of different seasons of life I was going to discover as we went back in and said goodbye because there were people from different eras and different periods of our lives that we were going to be reconnected with. And I knew that going in. And while I was at the, uh, the funeral uh, this weekend, I was there in a large room with a lot of people sitting down, and I saw out of the corner of my eye a lot of people from other parts of my life in different times. And I noticed a few people who, just to be honest, they, they don't like me at all, just at all. Even worse than you don't like me, they do not like me. And I knew that. Um, and I thought, you know what, I, I can move on. This is not time or place. And we, I'm just going to roll on, and we'll, we'll move on and be cordial and all that. 
And then in the back of my mind, I kept going, okay, I get to hang out with my church family in about three days and talk about this. <laughs> thought, well, that's kind of hypocritical. But you've been a hypocrite before and it didn't work. You know, so I thought, well, I'll just, and then I thought, no, that is not going to happen. And so I turned around and I walked towards one of the people that I knew could not have cared less about me coming over. And I walked over to the person and I just shook out my hand, looked him in the eye and said, I am genuinely glad to see you. And I hope all is well with you. And I'm glad we get a chance to mourn together. And you could literally hear the throw up happening inside his mouth. I just, I don't know what to say. I shook it, shook it hard, and then I walked off. <laughs> and I knew the truth was, truth is, I hadn't really thought about that relationship in a long, long time. And by God's grace, God's given me the ability just to move on from any kind of hurt and pain. I just move on. Life's way too short. My family depends on me to be the joy giver, and I'm not going to let them down. So I just let, I let things go, and I move on, probably more quickly than I should, but I just move on. But it was obvious that that person hadn't moved on. I could tell that when I left. And sometimes the freedom is not about you. Sometimes the freedom is about them. And sometimes God's calling is to be willing to step into a place that you don't want to be for their sake, to take the initiative to bring as much peace as you can to the moment so that they can be free. Because isn't that Christmas? Isn't that God looking down at millions of people who couldn't care less about him and saying, I understand that, but I care about you and I care about you being free. And so I'm gonna step into your world and bring myself close and be Emmanuel, God with you so that you can find peace. And in the end, it's gonna be up to you. I can just invite you but I'm going to do everything in my power to close the gap and to bring you home. And there are some pains that a lot of you have experienced that are much, much deeper than my silly little encounter the other day. Much deeper. And I don't mean to make light of it in any way. But I do know that we're kidding ourselves to think we can be completely free if we have not done everything we can to close the gap with the people who we're no longer with. And I know that's weird and complicated, and everyone right now could stand up and say, but listen to my situation. It is, I, I know. And it's going to look different for everyone. It may not be as easy as a handshake, an eye contact. It might be a message. It might be a note. It might be over a coffee. It might have to be a five-course meal to get it all out. It might be a lot of stuff. But whatever the effort is, I think that's what Jesus was talking about. When you come to me and you want to be free and you want to offer this sacrifice up and you're going to worship me, understand that this really matters. So my hope is that this Christmas, before the 25th hits here, that you will find the courage and you will have the willingness to be used by God, to take the initiative. And maybe it's just to communicate with someone and say, there's a lot that could be said here and maybe we'll get it out eventually. But I just want you to know that as far as I'm concerned, we're okay. 
I'm moving on. You're moving on. We're moving on. Whatever the case may be. Or I'm sorry. Or I have forgiven you. Or please forgive me. I don't know what that is for you. We all have different stories and we're in different seasons of that. But I know that closing the gap is something that God expects of his people. Because ultimately that's what he did for us and that is what Christmas is.